Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Greetings and a fine, fine good morning from the Beaver State here on the southern coast of Oregon on February 25th. Uh, 2016 for another episode of Hour of Discernment. And this morning, I'm looking real forward to uh, starting this, this. This is part three in um, Michael DeSimlin's book. It's Arminianism, a man-centered gospel. And you know, before I do this this morning, I want to get something. I got an email this morning. This is an important issue. It's, it's an issue that, and understand that when I present present this, that I uh, believe in freedom of conscience, and that uh, the other party has has their right to their freedom of conscience. But uh, if you go, if you go to my uh, our discernment page. You, know, you can get there by doing a Google search on Hour of Discernment, and it's the number two hit, uh, the, the number two there. It takes you right to Hour of Discernment. It's, and at the top of the page, I got, Truth is independent of opinion. By its very definition, truth is intolerant of error. Every aspect petitioning the conscience for knowledge. The individual, however, holds the key to admission or rejection. And uh, when I started the Hour of Discernment, I mean, it's alarming what we see at our fingertips right now. We have so much information at our, infer- at our, at our fingertips and to be able to discern. And so that's the reason I chose Hebrews 5.14, that strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, when you're on this page, I have right in the middle of the page, I got, because uh, I want to address this morning, I want to address dispensational futurism a little bit and address it a little bit. And of course, on this broadcast, my guest today is Larry Phillips. And good morning, Larry. Good morning. Uh, uh, to the Show Me State of Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> and so, in uh, from the Bieber State, welcome. Just um, and so, and, and you know, I'm going to just ask you a quick question. Don't we don't have to? But when when we talk about dispensationalism, uh, Larry, it's not it's not uh, I'm not out of line, am I, by saying that you have to have a modern day Israel? Yes, I mean, actually, what dispensationalism has done is it's propagated the notion that the Old Testament prophets have nothing to say about the church. But in fact, they only have to do with Israel. And so the church age is kind of regarded as some kind of a parenthesis. And um, 
so the problem is is that you know the focus then goes on the uh, nation of Israel and the state of Israel and and takes the uh, focus off of Christ but the Bible is you know entirely about Christ and those who who belong to him and and uh, you know not not those who reject him so that's that's really the synthesis mm-hmm. yes and uh, so on I wanted just to be real clear that on my page <clears throat> on uh, <clears throat> before I ever <clears throat> met Larry Phillips uh, you know uh, this, this has been two or three years ago I did a series on uh, Mystery Babylon News Radio with Tom Fress. And so if you're on on the Our Discernment Grand Design page, you'll see you'll see a link there and it's it says dispelling future uh, dispensationalism. And if you click on that, you know, you're you'll you're gonna you'll be able to get six broadcasts that Tom did specifically on the prophecy of Daniel nine twenty seven. And um, uh, the reason I bring this up, just a minute, we have a little interruption from uh, from, from my co-host Sammy. Come on in, buddy. Uh, I always tr- I try to time this, but now he's he's in for the duration. Okay. You know, because this this is a this is a really important because the reason I bring this up, you see, is I got an email this morning, and it. Uh, needs to be addressed, you know, I mean, and I, I appreciate, I appreciate the email and, and somebody's, uh, their conscience. And it's addressed to, to Walt and Michael Adams. And it says, and I don't think it's necessary to bring out who, who sent this, because this is a very, very common analogy of dispensationalist. This person is a dispensational futurist. And there's different flavors of dispensational futurism. But this party who sent this email to me is a dispensational futurist. She has and has her right her right to freedom of conscience. You might want to she says you you might want to read this and get informed. The church is did not replace the Jews. The day will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, the sound doctrine, and and I think we're at that period, because it was it's been uh, historically from p- Protestant sources and Catholic sources that uh, futurism futurism was started. By Ribera, and um, it's been started by the Jesuits. Now, she says the church is not the church did not replace the Jews. Now, if we go to Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one, this is in Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. A new covenant. That's in Jeremiah. Now in Hebrew 8.8, for finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, 
the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And with the house of Judah. <clears throat> you, you see... <clears throat> And in Hebrews 8.13, in that he saith, a new covenant he hath made, the first old. See, we need to read the words that are on the page. See, in that he says, a new covenant he hath made, the first old. Now that which it decayeth and wax old is ready to vanish away. In Hebrews 12, 24, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You see, <clears throat> this is a real common, and the reason I, I bring this is that this is a textbook example. Because, see, what... What this party is saying is that we're teaching replacement theology. No. You know, and then she goes on, be not deceived. God is not through with Israel and his promise to the Jewish people. No, he's not. There's a new covenant. And we've been grafted in. And there's only one way there's only one way through Christ. It's through Christ. The nature branches will, now listen, the natural branches will come alive again. That's not scriptural. That there is, that is not scriptural. That is adding to scripture. The natural branches will come alive again. We were grafted in. In fact, some are already coming down, coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Look out. Look at end times prophecy is knocking at the door. Prophecy books is a bestseller. It will sell books, and, it's, and it attracts a following. Now, we're going to cover this in today's broadcast Arminianism, a man-centered gospel. It's, this is, it's, it's going to get more clear. So, you know, but I... says, look out. End-time prophecy is knocking at the door. Yes, it was knocking at the door. You know, when Paul wrote Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and then we had the Reformation... And you see, you see, you know, I'll be right up front with you. I have a historic worldview, historic worldview. I believe the Reformation and the Reformers and what they taught is true. It's true today, and it was true in their day. In their day. That the papacy is the Antichrist. 
And they're always wanting to go into the future because it sells books. And the next thing on this thing, she also said, and I'll say it's a lady, okay? First of all, sometimes, you know, we get, have I ever been out of a line? Have I ever wrote, wrote things that I wish I could take back? Absolutely. Now, because I have Larry Phillips on with me, and Larry Phillips, we've learned who Larry Phillips is. He, if you go back into the archives, I had two broadcasts, and Larry gave his testimony when he uh, had a five-year court battle with the state of Missouri. And if you haven't, you need to go back and listen and know a little bit about Larry Phillips. But she also said, she said, I noticed that Larry Phillips evidently does not believe this. See? He is also a 501c3 church. I do not trust a church that is mixed up with government. Well, you know, when you, when you make statements uh, like something like this, You've got to understand the impact of what you just said and what she was what what she was implying here. See, she's applying that Larry's home church is a 501c3 church, and so Larry, you know, I think I think it's let 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 you explain what this 501c3. Okay. Yes, I'll be happy to do that. Um... And I can see why someone could get confused because if you do a search, Larry Phillips, uh, not-for-profit or something, uh, an organization will pop up Family Affiliated Support Services. Um, After my son was diagnosed with a brain disease, uh, I and my wife decided that we wanted to form a not-for-profit organization to help people with disabilities and low-income disadvantaged people because we had gone through so much with our son. And so, as probably most people on this call know, a 501c3 status uh, includes many, many different kinds of organizations. Um, And your charter is designated by what that organization does. Our charter is specifically for to aid disadvantaged, uh, disabled, and low-income people. So we provide um, rental properties to about four or five people under Family Affiliated Support Services at $100 under uh, market rate on rentals. And we've also... Um, I've also done some work uh, helping people get, uh, I've done some home studies and helping one gentleman get uh, adoption through, through Family Affiliated Support Services because that particular judge asked specifically for someone with my experience to do the home study. Uh, we also provided a grant to a, a young girl who had multiple, multiple surgeries, and it helped pay for her surgeries. 
That being said, Family Affiliated Support Services has absolutely nothing to do with Weatherby House Church. Weatherby House Church is uh, a small church that meets in Weatherby, Missouri, in our house. And our house is owned by Rosette and myself, my wife and myself. And uh, um, we on my sermons, we do not accept any donations. We accepted one donation from a lady one time, and I think she sent us, I think it was $25 or something like that, and uh, it was a mistake for accepting it because that particular lady, within about two weeks, called and wanted to start dictating as to what we said on our <laughs> on our program. So, the reason we have uh, chosen not to take donations from the general public or offerings or whatever you want to call it is because we want to make sure that we have the freedom of conscience to speak, speak what we we want according to the Bible and are not dictated by others. So um, I can see why this person could be confused on that issue. I hold no resentment of her making that statement. It was just a confusion on her part. But uh, we are, uh, Weatherby House Church uh, has nothing to do with the organization that helps support um, these folks that are disabled and are low income with housing. Okay, okay. also, Larry, uh, you know, I, I'd like to have you comment briefly, you know, your, your comments, <clears throat> because this is very, I mean, this is big. What's going on in Israel, Zionist Israel? You know, well, again, I think I think that uh, I understand why many people are preoccupied with, you know, what's going on in the Middle East. We've seen this uh, ongoing animosity between the Palestinians and the Israelis for years and years. We, most of us who study history, know about. 1947-48 and the 1967 war and we see how that <clears throat> these uh, physical Jews were re you know returned to the homeland and so on but the challenge that we must face is that we must look at the Word of God and in the Word of God specifically in Romans 11 uh, this would actually agree with your guest about God not being through with the Jews. We certainly don't hold that position. Michael Adams doesn't hold that position, and I know you don't. And neither does God himself. He says, I say, then hath God cast away his people. God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. And so... Here Paul is is coming against those that are making that charge. And he's saying no. In fact, he said, uh, they have killed, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone. And they seek my life. But, uh, of course, God's answer to him was, I have, res you know, I have um, reserved myself a remnant that have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Specifically, he says, I reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So even so, at this present time, also, there's a remnant 
according to the election of grace. And by the way, that remnant according to the election of grace includes both Jew and Gentile. Now, as it relates to this issue on the natural branches being restored and so on, uh, I think it's more, I think we, we have to be fair here that um, there is, uh, in this particular passage, um, a showing that there is going to come a time where the fulfillment of the Gentiles is going to come into fruition. And then those Jews that God has reserved to himself are going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're not, I want to let everybody know here, we're not high-minded. We're not boasting against the Jews. That's the furthest thing we're doing. We, you know, verse 21 says, For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. So we, you know, who are we to boast on anything? We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and Christ in his, in his grace and love showed us mercy as he is uh, showing mercy to some of his elect Jews. And so he says here, uh, in verse 24, if thou were cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? What is their own olive tree? The olive tree is Christ. <laughs> That's We are both part of the olive tree. You know, we are both part of Christ. And he says in verse 25, and this is what I was alluding to, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. I believe that we are at the time when the fullness of the Gentiles is coming in. Meaning that God has been long-suffering over the years, uh, and it says he is long-suffering to us, you know. And uh, it says, and so all Israel shall be saved. As written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. What does it mean when it says all Israel shall be saved? Does it mean that every person, okay, in the nation and state of Israel that is a physical Jew will be saved? No. No. It means that all of his remnant will be saved, that will trust in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Not not going up some other way as the thief and the robber that's talked about in John 9, 10. No, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Notice in 27, he says what the specific ingredient is to those who are going to be saved. This is my covenant of them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So <clears throat> there seems to be a uh, 
it's a, a mysterious thing. In verse 31, it says, Even so have these also now believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. And the way I receive that is that, you know, those for whom a God is going to show mercy to regarding the Jewish elect, they're going to see the great mercy and grace that God has bestowed upon the Gentiles. And they are going, God is going to use that as a means of showing mercy to the elect Jews. And uh, Paul concludes that by saying, Oh, the depth of the rich, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. But one of the things we have to remember in all this, Walt, and I know you concur, is that we have to always put Christ at the center of everything. And his, he is to be exalted in his work on the cross. Now, the only thing that we're um, elaborating on and, and exclaiming is that Christ said at the cross, it is finished. And by the way, it wasn't just finished for the Gentiles. It was finished for the Jews. Now, I'm speaking in time. He was manifested in time. He came and died on the cross. Christ himself said it is finished. But as far as calling these people out, no, he's not finished. And uh, we don't know who God's elect are. We don't have elections, uh, election meters. We can't go around zapping people and know who are God's chosen people. But one ingredient that is certain among all of God's people, and that is we absolutely exalt and give glory and honor to Christ and his shed blood on the cross, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That was a rather long answer. I'm sorry. But... Yeah. Well, and Larry, I and I, I mean, I agree with you, hundred percent. It's you know we have to have a Christ-centered theology. We have to have a Christ-centered every when we look when we read uh, uh, history. We have to be Christ-centered, and uh, the the only thing is, is I will say, you know, this is a real. This is not particularly at this particular person because this is real common. Right. This, right. this is real common. In other words, and what the thing of it is, see, they like they like to say to us that we're that we it's replacement that we are teaching replacement theology. And see, that is that is not true. No, we're teaching that we're we're teaching that there's two covenants. There's the old covenant, which is the old law service, you know. And you can go through and study Hebrews. It says not by the blood of bulls and goats, but Christ went entered once into the holy place for sacrifice for sin. And so we see in the Old Testament types and shadows. We see that the animal sacrifices were offered as a foreshadowing, looking forward to Messiah coming and shedding his blood. And as you were alluding to the prophecy in Daniel, that when that happened on the cross, when Christ died, the veil was rent from top to bottom. And uh, then there, now there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin except Jesus Christ. No more blood, no more 
uh, red heifers, no more animal sacrifices, no more rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. You know, Christ said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, uh, you know, there's no temple in heaven. You know, Christ is the temple thereof. And Christ has already done all the work for his people. We don't have to uh, go back in time, back under the old law service. And so when we talk about, people use this term replacement theology, God's the one that brought about the New Covenant, the New Testament. And I would encourage our, our listeners to do a word study of the New Testament and the New Covenant. And it's very explicit, not only in Romans, but also in Hebrews, that we are no longer under the old law service. We are no longer under the old law service. We're under a higher law. We're under the law of faith. The just shall live by faith. See, Martin Luther was was under the old law service for a long time. He was trying to do all of these works, you know. He would even whip himself into submission and crawl upstairs. He said his, his knees were just bloody for trying to do penance and all this until one day he got a hold of a Bible and read the just shall live by faith. That's what we're proclaiming today. We're proclaiming in the faith of Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross, not the faith in going back into the old law, not going back to the old, um, you know, because the the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but Christ is the one that brings us to himself. <laughs> you know, and it says that all that the Father has given him will come to him, and all that come to him he will no wise cast out. You know, and so when we look at substitution, when we look at actually what happened in the atonement, you know, people talk about imputed righteousness. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he became our sin bearer. He, the only reason he could go to the cross is he was holy, holy, holy. He was perfect, just, without any sin. But he took our sins upon himself. And now the Father looks at Christ's perfect sacrifice and sees us as forgiven through the completed work of Christ. Well, <clears throat> well, I, I, I just, I, uh, you know, I, I found this, you know, um, like I, I won't throw somebody under the bus for because they're a dispensational futurist, you know. I just that isn't, you know. But uh, this, this is a real. Uh, issue in the, in the age we live in in 2016 because all the event, and as we get into this study, the Arminianism, a man-centered gospel, this is going to be more, it, this, is, this is going to be brought out kind of, it, it, it kind of, it's going to sh- sh- unveil, I, I really feel as I read and understand a man-centered re- religion it's going to reveal what's going on over in Israel, you know. And you know, and and, and I, I, uh, I have a real close friend, and we, and and she, she's the same way. I mean, in other words, that when we come to this, when we come to this 
they want another dispensational time for the Jews. And in other words, it's and Christ Christ fulfilled it. We have we we have one way, and that's through Christ. And in other words, and when as soon as we get out of a Christ-centered life, we get into the world. We get into the elections coming up in 2016. We get into what's going on in Israel. If you listen to the nightly news and Fox News a half hour a day, you're, you're, you'll never, you'll never, you're going to have a, a, a man-centered opinion of what's going on in the world. And I really, really feel that it's... You know, I, I just want to say one thing, give one example, and again... Um, I'm like you. I don't. Uh, I've made it a practice not to do fellowship anyone over eschatology in time events. But I will say this: that there's a danger, especially with some of the hyper dispensationalists, people like uh, uh, Pat Robertson of uh, Christian Broadcasting Network. He interviewed the uh, chairman of Disney. And Disney, chairman of Disney's wife, was a born-again Christian, believed in Jesus Christ as her Messiah. However, the uh, chairman of Disney is a Jew, and he asked Pat Robertson, you know, uh, my wife's a Christian, and my wife says that if I don't uh, trust in Jesus Christ as Messiah, that I won't go to heaven. Is that true? And Pat Roberts says, oh, no, that's not true. You're one of God's chosen people. You're Jewish. And the danger that we get into here is, now, I'm not saying this with all dispensationalists, but many, many dispensationalists, including John Hagee and and Hal Lindsey and uh, uh, Pat Robertson and those folks, they will say that the Jew, God didn't even come for the Jew. John Hagee in his book says that John Hagee didn't come as a Messiah for the Jews. They're his chosen people. They don't have to trust in Jesus Christ to go to heaven. And by the way, they won't be in heaven, in the same heaven with you and me as, as the church. They will be in a different section of heaven. And, and I've heard so many confusing things on these dispensationalists. I mean, from Schofield to Garvey to, to Finney to all the way down through history, you know. Um, and I, I, you know, when we get into the Arminianism thing, you know, we have to start at the beginning. And we have to look at the fact that Lucifer was the first, even though Jacobus Arminius, you know, was born in 1560. Uh, Lucifer was the first Arminian because Lucifer said, I will arise and be as God. And so that's what we're going to... We're going to see the history of this even before Jacobus Arminius, clear back to Pelagian and when he came against um, Augustine. And then the whole philosophy was man-centered. I have a free will. I, I, I. That's what it's about. Well, I think that's a really good introduction and to start to, to, to start this last section. I mean, and it's part three this of the book, The Foundations Under Attack, The Roots of Apostasy by Michael DeSemblin. And part three is Arminianism, 
a man-centered gospel. <clears throat> and it's in chapter 11, the origins of Arminianism. James Jacob Arminianism, 1560 to 1609, was a Dutch theologian who studied and taught the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that had been rediscovered and proclaimed by the Reformation. Subsequently, he changed his position and began to preach and teach a man-centered gospel. Calvin, Luther, Kramer, Lattimore, and Knox, among many other great preachers, taught the centrality of the, of the grace of God and his gift of faith alone for, for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. This Christ-centered gospel was and is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. In this section, we will set out to study the man-centered gospel that has been standard in many parts of what is still called evangelicalism. This man-centered message sees the receiving of the gospel as deriving from a person's own faith. It assumes wrongly that the salvation originates with the will of man by his choice of decision, and it is finally to be positioned in the human heart. The scriptures make clear that the salvation originates with God, not within the human heart, but to be in Christ. For example, the Apostle Paul states in his own testimony, quote, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. I have to say, <clears throat> I've read that, that verse before, but it's never hit me like it has hit me the last couple of days. How then did this man-centered salvation come into the Christian church? As we shall seek to show, there has been a great falling away from the truths that were proclaimed at the time at the time of the Reformation. Many modern evangelicals in sharing the gospel publicly offer invitations such as accept Jesus in your heart, invite Jesus into your life, or make a decision for Christ. Like Roman Catholicism, such a gospel looks for salvation in the human heart and is thought to be brought about by man's own choice. The author asks for the reader's patience in studying this third section of the book. I want to read that last sentence again. The author asks for the reader's patience in studying this third section of the book in order to carefully take note of the record of history, the witnesses of Scripture, and the testimony of post-Reformation servants of Christ who have warned of another gospel, and another spirit. All that follows has been documented in order to demonstrate that much of what has come to be accepted as Christianity is misconceived. Totally missing in the modern man-centered pe passage is the defining biblical truth spelled out by the Apostle Paul, quote, There is none righteous, no, not one, there is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God, end of quote. 
In fact, the apostle makes clear to the wor- to the would-be converts that there is absolutely nothing we have to offer to contribute to our salvation. God makes alive those, quote, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We shall show from the record of history that this man-centered Christianity has become what is now the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. The Second Vatican Council has taught that man is simply incapacitated, are wounded by sin, and he can decide his own destiny in the sight of God. Now, I'm a, this is a quote from the Vatican II documents. <clears throat> quote, Nevertheless, man has been wounded by sin. He finds by experience that his body is in revolt. His very dignity, therefore, requires that he should glorify God in his body and not allow it to serve the evil inclinations of his heart. When he is drawn to think about his real self, he turns to those deep recesses of his being where God, who probes the heart, awakes him, and where he himself decides his own destiny in the sight of God. End of quote. Arminianism among evangelicals has been described as a halfway house to Roman Catholicism and has been responsible for much of the growth of the ecumenical movement. Man-centered free will Christianity and Roman Catholicism are equally wedded to a wrong message. To understand this more fully, we need the historical explanation of just how this whole system a thought arose. In this section, we will use the <clears throat> eponymous term Arminianism to refer to the system which upholds a man-centered message. <clears throat> In historic heresy, Dr. Lorraine Bettner, American author of two important books, Roman Catholicism and the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, has given us a helpful observation to begin examining this difficult subject. Quote, Arminianism existed for centuries only as a heresy on the outskirts of true religion. And in fact, it was not championed by any organized church until the year 1784 at which time it was incorporated into the system of doctrine of the Methodist Church in England by John Wesley. We have shown earlier, in, that was into the quote, we have shown earlier in this book how in the 16th century Jesuit scholars were commissioned to undermine the received texts and to reinterpret Bible prophecy in order to vindicate the papacy from its widely held identification as the Antichrist. However, shielding the Church of Rome from the sword of spirit would not be enough. The Reformation's newly rediscovered doctrines of grace underlying the sovereignty of God and underpinning the eternal security of the believer, altogether at odds with the pretensions of the Pope, would need to be challenged and overturned. The Jesuits were commissioned to infiltrate the church and its institutions of learning. 
Jesuits. Infiltrate, educate, and agitate. Or you can say, infiltrate, educate, and stir the pot. The Pope's secret army of infiltrators was prophesied in the scriptures. Quote, this is the first time, I mean, I, I never read this with this kind of, of pinning this verse right on the Jesuits. And let me read this again. The Pope's secret army of infiltrators was prophesied in the scriptures. And that is in, in uh, Galatians 2.4. Quote, false brethren unawares brought in who came in with priv- who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage boy when you uh, let me read that again quote false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Jesus Christ, that they might bring us under bondage, end of quote. The Apostle Peter also described them and what they, could, what, what they would do in Second Peter 2, 1 and 2. Quote, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious, pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. In the quote, in his book Arminianism, the road back to Rome, Augustus, top lady, preacher, scholar, theologian, and hymn writer, wrote that as Arminianism, Arminianism came from Rome, so it leads thither, thither to, again. Also, he added the following, quote, The Jesuits were molded into a regular body towards the middle of the 16th century, towards the close of the same century. Arminius began to infect the Protestant churches. It's, it needs their therefore no great penetration to discern from what source he drew his poison. His journey to Rome was not for nothing. If, however, any are disposed to believe that Arminius imbibed his doctrines from the Socians in Poland, with whom it, it is certain he was on terms of intimate friendship, I have no objection to splitting the difference. He might import some of his tenets from the Rakovian brethren and yet be indebted for others to the disciples of Loyola. In England, in the 17th century, during the Arminian regime of William Laud of Archbishop of Canterbury from 1633 to 1645, and a persecutor of both Puritans Covenanters, zealous Armenians were promoted to the best bishoprics. A famous letter written by a Jesuit to the rector of, of Brussels and endorsed by Laud himself was found in the archbishop's own study at Lambert. A copy of this letter 
was also found among the papers of the Society of Priests and Jesuits at Clerkenwell in 1627. The following is an extract from the notorious letter, quote, We have now many things to our bow, our bow. We have, not, we have now many strings to our bow. We have planted the sovereignty drug of Arminianism, which we hope will purge the Protestants from their heresy. And it flourished and beareth fruit in due season. I am at this time transported with joy to see how happily all the instruments and means, as well great as smaller, cooperate with our purposes. But to return to the main fabric, our foundation is Arminianism. That is a quote from a Jesuit. In his book, Justification by Faith Alone, Dr. Joel Joel Beek, professor of systematic theology at the Puritan Reformed Seminary at Grand Rapids, exposing the error at the heart of the free will system, stated, quote, Arminianism errs in making part of the foundation of justification to rest on faith by advocating conditional predestination and conditional faith in justification. God elects and saves those who believe. Arminianism is a cruel hoax. John Owen, the great Puritan divine, ridicules the Arminian condition of salvation by faith as an impossibility, saying it is as if man should promise a blind man a thousand pounds upon condition that he will see. Owen, Owen views the Christ of Arminian as but a self-mediator because he procures the end of salvation, but not the means of it. Charles Spurgeon is more graphic. He likens Arminianism and Calvinism to two bridges. The Arminian bridge is wide and easy, but does not bring its travelers safely to the opposite shore of the river. It stops short of the eternal communion with God because something is left for the depraved will of natural man to accomplish, exercising faith in Christ. The Calvinist bridge is narrow but spans the entire river. For Christ Jesus is the Alpha, and the Omega for salvation and justification. Arminianism looks promising, but it cannot live up to its promises promises because it depends upon depraved humanity to act. In doing so, it deceives the myriads of souls who think they accept Christ by a simple act of their own will but do not bow under Christ's lordship. They imagine they have saving faith while their lives evidence that they remain spiritually dead. Calvinism is promising, for it places the entire weight of justification and salvation on the sufficiency of Christ and the operation of his spirit who bestows and sustains saving faith. This this another quote from uh, 
Joel Burke. In the final analysis, if we base our justification on human faith, works, or anything else, the very foundation of justification crumble. For inviolably, the agonizing, perplexing, and hopeless question of having enough of anything would surface. Is my faith strong enough? Are the fruits of grace in my life enough? Are my experiences deep enough, clear enough, persistent enough? Every inadequacy in my faith will shake the very foundation of my spiritual life. My best believing is always defective. I am too ungodly, even in my faith. Apart, apart from Christ, the best of my best is as filthy rags. A quote as filthy rags as a quote from Isaiah 64:6. To many Christians, despair because they cannot distinguish between the rock on which they stand and the faith by which they stand upon it. Faith is not our rock. Christ is our rock. We do not get faith by having faith in our faith or by looking to or, or by looking to faith, but by looking to Christ. Looking to Christ is faith. <clears throat> now the founder of Arminianism, its articles in the Synod of Dort. James Arminius. 1560-1609, is generally regarded as the founder of the system of Arminianism. He was educated at the new Dutch University of Leiden and then at Geneva under the tutelage of Theodore Bizarre Benza, of Theodore Benza, Calvin's well-respected follower and successor. Around 1591, after only a year in the Geneva Academy, he began to develop views that were, were to become dynamically opposed to the doctrines of free and sovereign grace that were taught at Geneva. He departed and continued his education elsewhere. He became a minister in Amsterdam and was later invited to become a professor of divinity at the University of Leiden. It was then this, and it was from this point that he began propounding his theories with guarded vigor. As the doctrines of free grace were in the ascendance at the time, his teachings on free will were bound to arouse controversy and bring him into conflicts with the ecclesiastical authorities. This was a dangerous activity as heresy could be a capital offense. Perhaps many of this Arminius was different difficult to pin down. His teachings could be very ambiguous and sophistical, sophistical, and sophistical. In 1605, for example, the Synod set nine simple questions for Arminians to answer in, a, in an attempt to clarify his position. He responded with nine opposite questions and employed scholarly and philosophical devices to avoid giving simple, straight answers. The first question was, which is first, election or faith, truly foreseen, 
so that God elected his people according to faith foreseen. Arminius did not, perhaps dare not, give a straight answer. And to the controversy rumble, and even until after his death in 1609. <clears throat> Eventually, his followers, known as the, 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 remis, the Remistrates, petitioned the government of Holland with a five-point remonstrance. Am I saying that right, uh, uh, Larry? Rem- yes, remonstrance, huh? Remonstrance, yeah. <clears throat> Eventually, his followers, known as the Rem- Remonstrants, petitioned the gover- government of Holland with a five-point remonstrance, which was a devel- development of the core teachings of Arminius. It was systematically and, and published, systemat- it was systemized and published in January 1610 by jo- Jan. <laughs> I. You got, Yaiten you got a, Bogart. <laughs> what, what, what is, what, how do you say it? Yaiten Bogart. Yaiten Bogart and Simon Episcopus, both former students of Arminius. They led 43 fellow ministers in introducing their document, the Arminian Articles of Remonstrance, of Remonstrance to the ecclesiastical authorities. Their object was to bring about the conveying of a synod which would overthrow the doctrines of grace, which had been freely preached since the Reformation, and make the teachings of Arminius the official doctrine of the Reformed churches in all Europe. They were successful in the first part of their endeavor. A general synod at Dort was called in 1618 and representatives attended it from all the Reformed churches in Europe, including those from England. The following is a summary of the of the five rem, remonstrance articles, and I think we're going to close right there for tomorrow. And we'll, we'll and there's uh, the, of the five points are in their free will, our human ability, condition, conditional election, universal atonement, resistant. Resistible grace, fallen from grace. And just I'll ask you a quick question, Larry. Does that these five points are are the are they the five points of tulip, or are the are oh, the this, opposing? This is yes. the opposing, and we'll yeah, see this, we'll see in uh, over on page uh, beginning on one hundred eight the uh, the five points of tulip. Okay, I I, I I got you. This is this is okay. the opposing. This is the opposing uh, uh, points of 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 grace. Armin, yeah, our, this yeah, is Arminian's view. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll start there tomorrow. I think that's a good place to start for tomorrow. You know, and um, and I, you know, we we didn't get we didn't get a long ways in it, but it's it, we got enough into the, and I think we, uh, uh, I, I was a. Uh, uh, it, you know, I had some questions answered to myself. I mean, you know, you know, when you when you you when you read history, when you read the Bible, when you read, it takes a little time for you to let things uh, roll around inside and get to you know, and that's sure. what fellowship, and that's what fellowship is so important is because you can you can share what you've read and share what's on your heart and 
and, and you can be uh, counseled. One, I would like to make one comment, and that is sure. that, uh, that is really crucial to this. Uh, what we're really talking about is not only the work of Christ, but also the origin of faith, the origin of faith. And so I, I would encourage people to go to the 12th chapter of Hebrews and read uh, the first and second verses there. Um, because it says that um, in the 12th chapter, we'll just go there real quick, uh, because I think this is really, really crucial as we get into this study. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the races set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I won't read the rest of that, but the origin of faith comes from Christ himself. Well, and I, I listen, I will take the time, Larry. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we will close today with looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know what? Listen, Larry, it's, uh, we'll, we'll be back here uh, the same time, same place tomorrow, and we'll continue from page 106 in the book. Sounds good. All right. Okay, well, God bless, and we'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye for now. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.